0: If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let
1: us explain. First of all, Tim, it's free. We love free. There's creation tools that allow you to record
0: and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer.
1: Did I mention that it's free? I did, didn't I? Well, it's not only free. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much every other one, many, many more. And
0: you can make money from your podcast, that cheddar. Cha-ching. With no minimum listenership.
1: It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the Anchor app for free or go to
0: anchor.fm to get started. We love Anchor. Welcome to Beyond Strange World. I am Tim Polary here today with Lance Reinstierna. How are
1: you, Lance? I'm doing really well. How are you today, Tim? I'm great. Good. This is so fun. We got the opportunity to be a part of this show that the Texas Crew production team has put together. It's called Strange World, and we are sort of the complimentary podcast that dives a little bit deeper, maybe peels back a couple more layers and appropriately titled Beyond Strange World, which is totally cool. That's right,
0: and it premieres tonight, Sunday night, August 11th, on Travel Channel. And joining us on the hotline is the filmmaker and the star of this show, Christopher Garitano. How are you today, Christopher?
2: I'm doing well. It's an exciting day. This is, is, um, you know, Strange World started uh, with a dream. Like, I woke up out of a dream with a name. Uh, you know, I, it's it's an Iron Maiden song, but it really is the most appropriate name for a new show of its kind that would change everything. And and the reason why is there's variety and style and different ideas and all things that I was personally interested in from the beginning. So I'm not just some hired face to talk about whatever I'm being paid to talk about. This is the stuff I really wanted to investigate. So it's, it's truly exciting day for me. It's a huge day.
0: So this came from a dream and not from the God Helmet.
2: A dream and Iron Maiden,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations! It is premiere day. I, I know the uh, the emotions that must be running through you are uh, are intense right now.
2: They are, because I know we made something special, and now I'm just hoping that uh, the audience sees it, number one, in abundance, and that they receive it. The whole idea is, look, I grew up with shows like this that made an impact on me in my formative years. So when I was a little kid, I was watching reruns of In Search Up with Leonard Nimoy. They were so spooky. And like certain episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, I would see, you know, playing sometimes like on a Friday night late, and I couldn't go to sleep some of those <laughs> episodes. At that time, you know, they were really spooky. And I think along the way, and I'm saying this respectively, that somehow this type of programming lost the atmosphere. And so the idea is to bring that back, but not the same way it was when I was a kid. Something fresh that still retains that spirit and brings the audience on an adventure, not just the same thing over and over and over again. There are so many interesting things in this world that we can grasp and, and put into the context of a show and make it entertaining and make it interesting and have depth and emotion. And, you know, why not? It's all there for us. There's no reason to fake it. It's there. So that's what Strange World is. It's a collection of all of those things that you know, fire my imagination and also everyone else's. And that's the the whole idea. That's why we make shows.
1: Now, you just said something interesting about the atmosphere of the show uh, sort of being lost, like the atmosphere of this type of show back in the day with Unsolved Mysteries and, um, you know, those types of uh, shows that that you said you, you stayed up at night when you were a kid and they freak you out and you have that certain atmosphere. Where do you think it sort of got lost along the way? And what are you doing with Strange World to bring that atmosphere back?
2: Well, i th- I think what ha- I, I think there are a few reasons for this. I think reality television kind of squashed the atmosphere in, in the in the previous type paranormal type shows um, because reality television is cheap to make, and so they stopped hiring cinematographers. They were hiring camera operators. You know, like it, it was a more about quantity uh, uh, versus quality. And but here's the thing: if you're saving money, great, but the bigger picture is if you have a better show that keeps people captivated and this has been proven time and time again is that you will in the long run make more money you know and as it, on the business end and i just think it became so repetitive and easy to make that even the audience was convinced that this is how these things should be interpreted And so when you're telling me a ghost story, like if I grew up listening to ghost stories, Halloween night, even Art Bell, you know, on his Ghost to Ghost episodes, you know, uh, growing up listening to those, they were so spooky. Now, if you extract that, it's almost like it's not appropriate for the subject matter. What's appropriate for a ghost story and the whole reason of telling them is that you're scared, that you're, you know, on the edge of your seat, that there's suspense to it. Now, if we're taking those elements out, then what is it? Is it a scientific uh, examination of a phenomena? That's cool, but that should also have an atmosphere to it. And the atmosphere doesn't take away from the intelligence or the depth. You know, look, if you want to write a technical manual on how to hunt ghosts, fantastic. Have some evidence, have some data. But if you're trying to give me an entertaining television show on that same thing, you better give me something interesting to look at, to listen to, to feel. And those older programs had Unique music and had a style to it. So Strange World began with the idea of style. And atmosphere and then, yes, depth to the story and something I was truly interested in and something that was fresh. And so, you know, I started picking subjects like, um, you know, Jane, the story behind James Dean's car and all this, you know, insane events that happened after, whether they be true or not, some of them are, actually did happen. So there are facts involved. And every episode of Strange World is different. It's not the... You know, it's not a different location with the same thing happening, which is a lot of these television shows. So I'm what I'm hoping is that Strange World really does change things. And I don't mean to say it's going to end all those other shows, but maybe it would elevate those other shows. Maybe they'll reevaluate their approach to the subject.
0: Maybe they all get canceled, too.
2: And
1: maybe it's just, I, it's just sure. the, the, <laughs> the Strange <Yeah>. World world. <laughs> <laughs> So uh,
0: the first episode is a, a topic that you're extremely familiar with. You are a filmmaker, and you made a movie called The Montauk Chronicles, and Stranger Things was based on the work you put into that movie.
1: I've never heard of this show that you mentioned Stranger Things. What, really? Is a, you never I, heard of that? I've never From Netflix? Netflix? The global it's phenomenon. It's a good show. Stranger Things no I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to bing that yeah bing that one
0: So uh, can you tell us about the Connection between your work and The show Stranger Things
2: Sure sure okay so In, in, in the 90s There was a, a completely Independent obscure Almost like a pamphlet it was barely A novel uh, by a guy named Preston Nichols and a in a, a very independent Publishing company called The Montauk Project okay that book was around for 20 years nobody made a movie about it nobody i mean like art bell covered it he talked to al bielick he talked to preston nichols but outside of that nobody really cared about it okay so here Mm -hmm. i come i i knew about it i wasn't interested because i felt out of all and i was so interested in in, um, you know the fringe elements paranormal conspiratorial ideas but i just didn't The Montauk Project never seemed believable to me. But what was interesting to me was to go and talk to these elderly men like Preston Nichols and Al Bielek and listen to their story and start there and and, and do it as a a character study. Uh, And as I went along, I became more interested in the story because I learned that there were elements of truth in these government programs and they really did happen. Like Holmesburg prison, like these really covert sinister things like the Tuskegee medical experiments where people were injected with syphilis for years, unbeknownst to them under false pretenses. like, it's really horrible stuff Jeez. and yeah, like really nasty stuff. And, and, and they were experimenting on prisoners and they were doing mind control experiments. This has all been proven, um, You know, a book, I think it was Alan Hornblum wrote the book, um, uh, Acres of Skin, you know, and we talked to him for this, this program we made for History called The Dark Files. But the connection between myself and Stranger Things is I was the only person to visually interpret the ideas behind the Montauk Project. And it wasn't until then. And then, like, I started getting some decent press, like Huffington Post, when I was making the early versions of Montauk Chronicles in 06, Okay, I started putting out trailers in 07. Stranger Things wasn't even a twinkle in someone's brain at that point. Um, so Huffington Post started putting out my trailers and my images and the ideas. And at that point, that's when I saw an increased interest in the story of the Montauk project, because there was something tangible there was something more than just this independent book that kind of went around some you know idiosyncratic circles like people started to see things they saw that atmosphere that i keep talking about that style that you know they they became interested in the story through that and that huffington post article and interview went out to a lot of people so at that point i started to hear uh rumblings uh maybe two years later after i was actually getting you know attention for the first version of the film went around the festivals um i think it, what was his name peter murphy the maker of american horror story was interested in doing something on montauk and it was weird because it was like it was two or three years of me getting some decent press and attention for what i was doing then all of a sudden here this guy wants to make a thing and i thought that was cool you know i didn't felt like i didn't feel like i owned it and then then it kind of evolved over into uh the gentleman who the duffer brothers who made Wayward Pines announced a show called montauk if you look at the early press releases they their show was called montauk and they were going to make it about the montauk project and that eventually evolved into stranger things if you look if you look at the style of montauk chronicles you listen to the music you look at some of the hues colors style choices stuff like that a lot of that did suggest certain things for Stranger Things. Now I'm not saying I made Stranger Things. I'm not saying I came up with the characters or the ideas or any of that stuff. All I know for a fact is if I didn't make Montauk Chronicles, most likely the Duffer Brothers would have made a different show. You would have not. They would have not have been inspired to make a show called Montauk. It would have been something else. And maybe somebody else would have done a a piece on Montauk eventually. But I know that no one did between the 20 years the book was published and the time I made the movie.
1: So the first episode of Strange World is about the Montauk experiments. You're very familiar with that. You've dug really deep into that topic. Uh, Two questions. Do you think that these experiments actually happened? And also, if they did actually happen in your head, do you think a show like Stranger Things diminishes the importance of those experiments?
2: See, I, I'm on the opposite camp of this, because where most people would think Stranger Things would diminish the importance of it, I think any way to get the idea into people's heads, where, because we're curious beings, where we're excited to explore a topic, I think that gets people even more interested in learning the truth behind it. So I don't think it's a detriment, especially Mm -hmm. Stranger Things being a well-made show. It's a good show. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if it was a total goof and it was making fun of it, I could see that as an unintentional spin, Mm -hmm. you know, making it into some kind of joke. But these programs really do exist. And I think a lot of the strong fans of Stranger Things love the idea that there's this kind of hidden truth behind it. Now, do I believe the Montauk Project actually happened? I have to tell you this. So in the in the in the eleven plus years of the investigation, I actually did an investigation. I talked to everybody who said they were involved, went to their houses, spoke to them face to face. Okay, all the originators of the story, right? Went to the base, explored the base physically, went through the whole thing, uh, put in FOIA requests, talked to archivists at the library, talked to everybody I possibly could, and then we brought geophysicists to the ground. And used something called electric resistivity imagery that looked beneath the ground and found an enormous structure that was made uh, man-made, confirmed by uh, Mike from GeoView, the company, and you know the, ge- the, uh, the geophysical company, and and confirmed that there was iron ore in this structure that it wasn't just some access tunnel that would be normal protocol for a military base. This was something enormous and we only saw a small vertical slice of it that's one piece of evidence that i feel one of many that i feel supports the idea that there was a government project there that was covert and and because there's a big structure underneath the ground we have yet to still fully map out the other thing is brian Minnick's uh, uh research and his pictures of the acid houses that were knocked down There was clearly something going on in there. You can compare it to previous drug experiments. Every room is professionally painted. So once again, like I wouldn't just be saying this because I want to, I don't want to believe these things are true because what I'm saying is I'm not saying, Hey, there's definitely an alien ship there and there are creatures and monsters and other dimensions, whatever. What I'm saying is these government projects have happened and, I they were looking for expendable people and this is in the 70s and um, they used the they, they experimented on prisoners we could prove that they experimented on mental patients we could prove that so why not look for runaway kids who were apparently missing in action they're also expendable they're they don't have to pay for them human subjects and that's what they were looking for and I wouldn't put it past them to have done this
1: I definitely want to get more into the government um the government experiments i before we do that though i have a question that i don't want to get lost how do you sure. how do you approach this without some sort of confirmation bias and how open minded are you how do you train yourself to be open minded and not look for something that might not be there does that make sense
2: yeah i i okay i try to look at associative history so if i had never read about Holmesburg prison are happening, you know, kind of around the same time Um, covert experiments like MK ultra stuff like that things we've been able to prove, I probably would have not really considered it if I have not if I didn't notice the behavior of the officials on the grounds, where they free literally freak out and create every diversion possible when we know we have equipment that can see under the ground when they know we have equipment that can see under the ground. And I take all of this into consideration. You know, it's like it, common sense tells me there's something's going on. Why are they putting up such a big resistance? Why are they lying and saying we can't go past the fence because we might get hit in the head by debris from the tower which is 300 yards away from the fence?
1: What right. w- what debris is flying off the tower?
2: Well, there pieces of the tower do fall, but oh. the tower is not hanging over that area at yeah. all. There's nothing above it but sky.
1: Okay. And you're talking so
0: they're
2: about They're telling us yeah, they're telling us they'd be liable if someone got hit with something. Well, what are you talking about? It's right. so far away.
0: Yeah, and you're talking about the Sage Radar Tower at Camp Hero. Yeah, let's get Correct. into that. Sage yeah. Radar Tower. Okay. Yeah, let's get let's get into Camp Hero because uh, you you arrived at Camp Hero. You were speaking with a, a Montauk historian. Was his I forget his name? I think it was Dick White.
2: Yeah. No, this is in in, in the first episode of Strange World. Yes. Yep. We talked to Dick White. He is a local. His family is owned land and you know different businesses in town for many years since he was a kid and he's an, an older gentleman, and he I suppose is a healthy skeptic but didn't realize, and like most people don't, that there were government projects that were proven that were tantamount to things that, the more palatable things that were said to have happened at Camp Hero, like the, the Montauk Boys program, which was suggested that between 1971 and 1983 there were children being kidnapped off the streets runaway kids off the streets of new york and being used as human uh subjects for these horrific experiments where they would load these kids up with drugs you know beat them and try to learn how to control someone's mind whether it be for interrogation purposes making you know some kind of assassin which has been done and this was proven by alan Ornbloom in acres of skin he proved that there were mind control programs being conducted on prisoners at holmesburg prison being you know heavy amounts of lsd heavy amounts of different drugs to control the mind of the person this is exactly what the gentleman who claimed montauk actually happened said happened there that the same drugs the same techniques all being used so my thing is you know if I'm being told and confirmed that this happened somewhere else around the same time in other facilities, why would you doubt that it might have happened at this base, which we've already found evidence there's something underneath the ground? So Dick White, once hearing this, you know, because he, he didn't know about it, this thing most people don't know. Once he heard this, he started to consider something else. And I really admired that about him because, you know, he's this local guy where you're really, you know, there's this local pride and the, the Montauk is like a. You know it's a vacation place in the summer uh, it's a it's great fishing, great restaurants. they don't want to be known as the torture town you know with the the evil base yeah um, they like the idea that you have this more fantastic element that you could celebrate and people merchants can make money and sell shirts and stuff but there's this real sinister dark side to this story and the dark side is children were being kidnapped, being used as human subjects in these horrific experiments and a lot of them were murdered and that is what scares them wow. you know, because if the truth comes out about this thing, that's what that town will be forever known for.
1: Yeah. Now, now how were these kids kidnapped and where are any sort of evidence of their remains or uh, yeah. maybe them being documented as missing? Have, right. How I'm, deep have you looked into that?
0: I think we're, I'm totally with you with the MK ultra and uh, 1975, it being publicly acknowledged by the government um so I, I'm with you to, to some extent, but abducting kids off the street sounds, sounds a bit wild to me.
2: Okay, and I felt the same way in the beginning. Then I started to learn of the numbers of people who go missing, you know, kids that go missing every year and are without a trace even now. And the numbers are astonishing that they never turn up again. You know, they, you just don't know where they are. And it's just like, wow, how many people— How is that possible that that many people can go missing? Just just do the research. So now we're rewinding back to the 70s. okay? And we don't have the internet. We don't have this rapid fire system of information and communication. It is the 1970s. The mentality even of the people who run these government programs are different, okay, because they felt they could get away with experimenting on prisoners. They felt they can get a, get away with experimenting on poor people. They, they felt they could get away with experimenting on anybody who doesn't matter in their eyes right or doesn't matter in society that's what they were doing mental institutions orphanages okay like look up um the dozer school in florida they bodies keep turning up at these kids that were all murdered at this 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 orphanage um so going over to montauk for a second here's new york 1970s runaway kids street kids, prostitutes, drug addicts, people like that who are already gone, who are already forgotten, missing, gone on the back of milk cartons, okay? And so these kids were supposedly, uh, in some cases, told, hey, you can make some money if you become part of this program. And they were already missing and gone for several years, you know? And so this is what I was told. They were wrangled up over the 13-year period and used as human subjects. Now, where are the bodies Al Bielik told me that in some cases, the kids were put back after training if they survived the experiments and if they survived the training. They were given a stipend. They were paid. They were put back into society. They were reborn, basically, and now they have this new life. And then the other cases, I was told everything from the bodies were dumped in the ocean to they were buried deep within the bases in the ground underneath concrete to that they were burned. You know, they, they were... Um, Cremated. The bodies were cremated. There was a crematorium inside the base itself. So I heard all of those stories. Can I confirm any of them? Absolutely not. But what what keeps me hanging on to this are what we found. You know, because mm-hmm. once again, I don't want to believe this. I really don't. I'm not I don't get excited that if this is true, I don't get excited when I hear that Holmesburg prison was a real thing. I don't get excited when I hear that our government partook in the Tuskegee medical experiments. Like this is scary stuff. You know, it's heartbreaking stuff. It's, you know, there's deceit and around every corner in our culture. I mean, think about it, you know, and this is completely off topic for a second, but think about Bill Cosby for a second for all these years, this guy puts himself forward as the like the American dad. Okay. We trusted him. We believed in this guy. He knew it too. And pure evil, this guy is doing this crazy stuff the whole time. Pure evil. Now, if that's possible, it seems like anything is possible. You know, like if this guy who puts out that he is the greatest guy on earth, basically, that you could trust him. Uh, You know, our government has done these things. People, public figures
1: have done these things. It's terrifying, man.
0: Are you saying that Dr. Cliff Huxtable is guilty of something?
1: <laughs> That's America's dad. Yeah, how dare you, America's dad <laughs> has been
2: drugging and raping women while telling us what to do the whole time.
0: Yes, yes, very tragic.
1: Well, it's a great point you raised. If you yep. can be conditioned throughout your formative years as, during your childhood and you're watching The Cosby Show, and I remember listening to um, his comedy routines Uh, bill Cosby himself was my parents favorite thing to like put on in a, a little cassette and they'd put it in the car and we'd listen to that and then if you can have that in your head for decades and then during that time behind the curtain this is a completely different sinister human being like a monster I mean if that's possible then I suppose a government sanctioned program. To figure out how to manipulate the minds of lesser, uh, you know, lesser status citizens is totally possible. I mean, you look at just the history of any government and yeah. how sinister that can be.
0: And now I'm curious... Uh, that was
1: my seven-minute point. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> no, it, it makes sense. Yeah,
0: and I'm curious about uh, your connection with Preston and Al, who worked at uh, Camp Hero back when it was running these experiments. Is that that accurate?
2: Yeah, again, these guys claimed a lot of things. So they said everything from that they were... The program directors for the Montauk Boys experiments, to that they, you know, that Preston Nichols looked at me and told me a story of a reptilian commander that used to come in and talk to him and drink Drano. You know, what? I mean, like
0: Drano. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh you know, he's told that story too. Wow. I mean, there, there, there are members of this group that said that they traveled back in time and they were at the crucifixion of of Christ. You know, I mean, like oh, shit. There's some really crazy stories, but. You have to think, like, okay, were these guys part of the experiment? Did they have implanted memories? I mean, like, all this stuff sounds like total science fiction, but after making a season of Strange World and after all the things I've researched, it's not. The science fiction of the 20th century is all coming to fruition now. So I think in the future, we're going to look back in hindsight and see the science fiction of the 20th century as a bunch of prophets. They all prophesized what was about to happen, even the even the fearful stuff, the Philip K. Dick stuff, you know, the paranoid stuff. Yeah. All that stuff is coming to fruition. It's real. It's
1: very real. And it's super creepy to think about, because even something like uh, George Orwell's 1984, that's that that's happening. That, that happened like, you know, 40 years later or whatever. And I think a lot of people are just uh, not comfortable coming to terms with that that sure that's something that was science fiction and sort of irrational yeah like why there's no there's no real good comfortable why that they can attribute to
0: okay that. yeah well let's talk about why because I think um, you 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 talked about MK ultra being uh, being an experiment and I think it had something to do with remote viewing if I'm not mistaken
1: and can we just give a quick uh, what is MK ultra for yeah, people who don't know yeah. the, the, on on the surface yeah. it's a CIA uh, sanctioned experiment. Mind control experiment, but I'll let you, Christopher, go a little bit deeper into um, what that is.
2: Yeah, well, I believe the origins of all of those MK projects, because there was MK Ultra, but there were other other projects that were like it, uh, all began uh, just after the Nuremberg trials, of World War II you know, there were a variety of Nazi scientists and doctors and different mm. intellects that were absorbed into the U.S. Operation Paperclip, yeah. Operation Paperclip, exactly. And that's where it all began. So MK Ultra wasn't the only uh, experiment of its kind. There were a bunch of them, and probably a bunch we don't even know about. And so there were all of these spawned from uh, Operation Paperclip. There were all of these alike, you know, Government programs. Some were to design rockets, some were to design weapons, and others were to design soldiers with, uh, you know, uh, very strict, laser-focused, you know, purposes like mind-controlled super soldiers, as they're called, or. You know, to how to deal with prisoners, how to get information out of them. And um, there's no other way to, you know, military intelligence, as you know, like they'll, they'll experiment with anything. They'll put up money for anything. They'll they'll set up challenges for universities to design things for them. This is all proven. And I think the, the thing is, like, we're so used to seeing stuff like this in movies, most people, that they don't we don't realize that this is real like a lot of this is real They'd be like, Oh no, I saw that in the born identity. Oh no, I saw that in the Manchurian Canada. Right. It's like, yeah, but this is real stuff. Mm-hmm, you know, right. like these, these pro, you know, it's obviously tweaked and parts for fiction or, or for dramatic purposes. But in a lot of cases, the, the truth really is as insane as the fiction.
0: Yeah. And Preston and Al were incredibly authentic in your interviews with them. I, I, wouldn't have uh, looked at them and say, "Ah, they're embellishing. They seem like completely intense and they don't seem like they're making stuff up at all. Um, But both are not here anymore. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, Preston died last summer. And then there was another gentleman who claimed he was part of it named Duncan Cameron who passed away uh, very recently. And uh, Al Bielik died in 2011. And so I think all the major people that that kind of really push this out in the world in those in that novel that that, that little book are gone you know there's another guy but i don't you know, I, he's, he's a whole another story that i won't even talk about him that i because he's a total liar but yeah. um, but then there are other people who claim that they were in like extensions of the program that i believe there's that gentleman James Bruce he was in the dark files i think he shows up a little in, in strange worlds first episode and he was in montauk chronicles and i think he's a, a genuine Uh, um, victim of one of these things, because I always, okay, so like when I'm looking at one of these people and they tell me they were part of the Montauk project, if you were part of a project like that, you're saying that you were beaten horribly, you were drugged, you know, so much of these horrible hallucinogens, these harsh, you know, chemicals, and you were beaten half to death and you were tortured. There's got to be some evidence of that in you. You know, um, and I don't just mean physical scars. There's something about somebody who was horribly abused. They don't have too much of a relaxed demeanor. They're a little jaded. They're a little, little worn. You just notice something like everybody I've ever met that had went through horrible abuse. There's something about them. They kind of, if you know what to look for, it's there. It's always there. And so some of the people telling the story seem a little too comfortable to me. Seem like they've never even been hit before. You know, like. And uh, let alone dragged into a deep, dark basement and beaten half to death over and over again. I don't believe it. You know, like so some of these people are lie. just like some people came back from Vietnam and, you know, maybe were in a just stationed in the U.S. or somewhere else and wrote novels about be fighting in Southeast Asia, you know, like they lied. Yeah. So uh, it happens. You know, people make things up. But just because people make things up doesn't mean that. um I'm going to disregard the entire tale. And that's the issue here. There, there's a lot of embellishments mixed in with, I think, a lot of truth. And uh, But I haven't dismissed it because I know there are programs like this that have happened in the past and they've been confirmed. So there are elements of Al and Preston that seem very authentic, but then they also stick to this kind of weird story of reptilians and aliens and monsters which i'm not saying didn't happen but it doesn't really support the case of a of a government atrocity which i would just stick with you
0: know right right yeah Yeah. double mumbo jumbo there yeah bringing in uh, a second uh
1: situation yeah Yeah, it's hard to sift through that at some point you have to just sort of apply yourself to one aspect of it it's easier
0: it's it's easier to just kind of look at it all as a whole and and dismiss it i think if you take it all together it's too overwhelming perhaps
1: Right. And and
2: maybe who knows, maybe they they could tell the tale if there was enough spin and it was made into the science fiction story and they were just hoping that somebody would listen and read between right. the lines. The one thing that tells me this might be true is that there was one day I was at Preston Nichols' house and um He's watching me. So like we were done with the interview and he's just kind of looking at me while I'm packing up my gear and he's making sure that I had the lens cap over the camera. He's making sure that I had it off. He's just watching. I thought he was just looking at the equipment and then he stands up, walks over to me. His demeanor is completely different because he's a very brilliant guy, intelligent guy, articulate guy, but he was wacky. I mean, wacky, you know, and then all of a sudden he just kind of straightens up his demeanor calms down and he looks at me and he's like you know christopher there's just a lot of things i can't say on camera and i'm like is this the same guy <laughs> like and i can't forget that i can't forget that moment it was it was weird it was almost like he knew he had to put on an act i don't know that's hmm. the best i can say do
1: you think that he put on this act theoretically to draw more attention to his story like you said hoping that someone would read in between the lines of all of this other like fantastical uh, information and maybe they would draw some of the truth out? Do you think that if he just acted like a normal person, then he would just be ignored or overlooked?
2: Maybe that, or maybe that the, the act is to protect his life because he did talk a lot about that. And, and I felt a genuine, when I brought up the Montauk boys being tortured and murdered, he got really angry it bothered him you could see it in his face if you look at the interviews in montauk Chronicles specifically you can see that it really gets to him he's really bothered and he doesn't want to talk about boys being tortured and murdered he wants to talk about his achievements in science hmm. and the adventure that he went on and here's the strange contradiction so if you just wanted to put out this adventure story why ever talk about boys being murdered raped and drugged why ever incorporate that at all into the story there's a weird dynamic to this whole thing it's it's beyond any paranormal uh story it's like why would they tell this tale of aliens and time travel and an adventure story where you have to kill the demigorgon? because really like junior is the demigorgon in the montauk story they have to shut down the power you know preston goes and he cuts the power and the Monster disappears. I mean, it's right out of a cheap science fiction movie. Yeah. Um, Then at the center of it, it's these boys getting raped. What is this? What story is this? Yeah. And
0: uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Preston who said that there were guns pointed at him uh, at one point during episode one. Yeah.
2: Yes, he did. He said that Jack Pruitt, who was one of the main guys who was running the program Beneath the Ground, which uh, the Matthew Modine character was based off of the Jack Pruitt character. Um, you know, for stranger things, um, Jack Pruitt was, you know, he was the main guy running the whole situation down there and that he wanted Preston to go and cut the power before the Demi Gorgon junior killed everybody in the base. It was tearing up the base, this monster. And so he sent Preston with an acetylene torch to go and crawl through burning debris and cut the power and save the day. And, uh, this is the science fiction story this is the story that i i you know i have i'm not exploring anymore whether it's true or not what i'm trying to find out is if there was a government program underneath that base Mm -hmm. and that this science fiction story was created as spin or a way for the gentlemen who were involved to kind of make money and still kind of hide the real story underneath in subtext
1: Hmm. have you ever personally felt your uh life or your well-being uh threatened because you're looking into this so deeply
2: I have considered that. I, you know, I I had a gentleman tell me a story a while back about a woman who, a journalist, way back, I think it was like in the 90s, that she called out the IRA for something they were doing, you know, in Ireland, and um, she was gone the next day. She was murdered. And so you don't mess with gangsters, you know, and and a good deal of the government is a bunch of gangsters. You know, you're not going to mess with people that can take people out. And so I did think about that. But then there's this other part of me that, I can't help it. You know, I can't help but to want to find out if kids were kidnapped and murdered, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and to help point it out. And then there's this other curious part of me that just wants to look into it. Am I, I I'm done with the story, though? I don't I feel like I've done enough. I've, and if anybody did want to take me out for it, they didn't. You know, uh, so I I'm not going to go any further with it. I feel like the investigations that I uh, conducted and I was a, a co-conductor in. Are the best ones the only ones really you know like other people have gone there walked around the base and stuff they read stuff online but nobody brought them really really thorough geophysical equipment there no one really like looked into every part they possibly could Spent time with all these people and then in the end had a document like montauk chronicles or the dark files or the first episode of strange world to show for right so we did it we did that and uh, and it's there and um I think it's time for someone else to go look into this now. I you know, after a while you just it, it becomes very depressing. You know, I felt I felt stuck a lot of the time when I was making Montauk Chronicles. Like I, I felt like I it was just stuck in this imagery of people getting tortured and murdered. It's just not stuff to fill your head all the time with. I wasn't kinda I was kinda done with it.
1: Yeah, there's some PTSD that probably comes with that.
2: I, I made the movie, so I had to edit all of you know hundreds of right. hours of footage. <laughs>
1: And speaking of
0: PTSD, you meet a guy named Joe later in episode one who said he was a a camp hero employee, I believe, currently, right? He's a he's a employee at that state park that used to do the tests.
2: Yeah, he was he worked there as I suppose one of the guards or security. Um, and uh, I guess he. um he claims that he was part of the program. And again, you know, when someone steps forward and says that, there's really no money in it for them. There's no true fame in it for them or anything. What are you like, talking are you gonna, about?
0: You know, He's on TV. Come on. Well,
2: in, in that case, but what about James Bruce, who to this day insists that he his voice and his face are concealed? He really wasn't paid at all for it. He's been telling the story for a while. So he's not getting any attention for it. You know, yeah. his face is covered by a mask. His voice is completely, you know, obscured. So he is a very authentic guy to me. I mean, the gentleman who was on the show for Strange World, look, I'm always willing to listen to the tale. And uh, I'm always willing to hear what they have to say. I've had a lot of people contact me and tell me they were part of the Montauk project. Do I think they were all part of it? Absolutely not. You know, but do I think some of them may have been. I, you know, I feel like James Bruce was, I feel like he's telling a legit tale. There's a lot of things to support this, you know, um, and there's some real sinister, perverse stuff attached to these stories, because we're talking about, you know, some gentlemen that um, talked about, you know, sexual programming and brutal programming, all this stuff that usually isn't in a science fiction adventure, you know, (laughs) like, doesn't go hand in hand with with, with those stories.
1: Now, you were on the grounds of uh, Camp Hero and the Sage Radio Tower, and you were there with Dick White, and there are all of these access points to the alleged tunnels underground. And I think you even said at one point that uh, the Sage Radio Tower holds the answer to everything or something to that effect. Do you have any plans on on unsealing or or making an attempt to unseal all of the concrete-sealed access points?
2: What I'm suggesting is the best bet is instead of physically knocking down walls and looking at this point, uh, the best equipment that I've seen is that electric resistivity imagery. So if somebody could contact some geophysicists, go down there, somehow get past the perimeter fence and get as much of the, the, the surrounding areas of the SAGE radar tower as possible with that equipment, I can bet decent amount of money that you're going to find more of that giant structure that we actually found that we have evidence of underneath the ground and then start there i'm just giving you very practical instructions what i think is the best way to do this after this many years of looking into it and once you prove that there really is an underground base there all those doors are just going to fly open they're just going to fly open because all the questions are going to be asked after that like okay you've been telling us for years there is no underground base here but there is so what else happened here i think that would be enough to get everybody's interest to say okay they've been lying to us you know which, which i already know they have
1: but. so who would be ultimately accountable for that would it be the cia or the department of justice or you know how high does it go trump trump
2: i think it's donald trump
1: <laughs> i think it's his fault
2: well you no, did I mean, mention
1: but... reptilian creatures <laughs>
2: hey man i you know we're we are in the future right now <laughs> yeah yep. there's a lot of weird stuff is going to happen in the next 10 years get ready <laughs> uh not that we aren't already living in the twilight zone yeah,
1: could it get weirder so, <laughs> please don't tell yeah, me yeah no be it's weirder. gonna get weirder actually Shit. it's gonna get
2: much weirder than this <laughs> um yeah i uh i think once we prove there's a base there uh, I would say then check with Brookhaven Lab, National Labs because the gentlemen who claimed they were part of Montauk claimed that they didn't enter through Montauk. They entered through Brookhaven, and that there's an underground transport that goes to Camp Hero from Brookhaven National Labs, which is further west than Camp Hero, uh, to Camp Hero. And, I, and then you can, if you can prove that there's this underground train system from Brookhaven National Labs that actually goes to other places, man, I would say – start considering that all of these stories are true and that we, we are really living in a, in the matrix, you know, we're living a big lie.
1: Yeah. Living in a strange
0: world. So, uh, um, what, what do you think is, and I, I understand this might be speculation city here asking you for, uh, this question, but what do you think the goal of the Montauk project was?
2: Well, according to the gentleman involved, the goal was to develop, a variety of things, but the most sinister aspect was to use a mass mind control uh, on all of us in many different ways. So we explore those ideas in Strange World, you know, the ideas of video games affecting some television, of suggestion and advertising, like all this stuff, all this covert suggestion, all these ideas. And now with, and I love virtual reality. Like, I think it's amazing stuff. I have an Oculus Quest, but You know, there was a big push to get that in every home. Now we all enter into the Oculus and we're in there and you're in this different world. What are you susceptible to? Some might say, well, it's just a cool new technology. Oh, yeah. Watch Strange World because, we, we, I mean, there are VR, there are um, scientists that are developing things for virtual reality that can literally read your brain. So if it could read your brain, could it put suggestion into your brain? And we talked to hypnotherapists and people that are versed in that and saying, yes, very much so you could be suggestible to it. Even the co-founder of Atari believed that the idea of a government-designed video game to control people's minds could have been a possibility. And this was Noel Bushnell, who who helped create Atari, felt this way. Brilliant guy, right? Yeah. Had had experience with that, had experience with the government developing games and, and, and had interest in games. So... We're going to start to see, once again, all of these paranoid science fiction ideas start to come to life. And it's going to baffle people. They're going to be like, well, I grew up with all of these ideas, but this was supposed to be fiction. It's not fiction. And I don't mean to scare people with everything. I mean, I use VR a lot, but I... um I'm cautious. I, I'm keeping my eyes open to see if there's any, like, weird suggestion in
0: there. You're not that cautious because you, you put the God Helmet on for three hours. This is,
2: no, <laughs> that has completely messed me up. <laughs> really? I've what a was, different person. Oh, yeah. I've, talk- I've, had the, I have, I've very strange micro-naps since then. Really? Okay, so let's talk oh, about yeah. the
1: God Helmet. What's the God Helmet, and why the hell did you put it on? <laughs> That's a good question. They're asking me to do a lot
2: of weird stuff if there's a season two, (laughs)
1: Um,
2: (laughs) and I'm in experiments throughout Strange World. Every episode, just about. Very cool. But um, okay, so the God Helmet. So I, segueing. The whole idea was episode one of Strange World. We we visited something that you know to introduce the audience to me because a lot of people don't know who the hell I am. uh, They want to let them know about my Montauk investigations, Montauk Chronicles, all the things I did on that subject and moving into all of these other topics, but using something that we could touch and talk about that's very similar to the experiments described by Preston Nichols using electromagnetic en- energy uh, on the brain. And that is a device designed, the gun helmet and the haunt box and a few other devices are all designed by a man, originally by a man named Michael Persinger. Um, really worked at a university, is a real scientist, really had success with this stuff. And so his thing was he felt that certain psychic phenomena and even hauntings were a result of geomagnetic waves uh, or faulty wiring in the house that could affect the brain and cause a weird type of hallucination. Hmm. I read about Persinger for the first time in a book called Spook by Mary Roach. Um, I think at least she's a forensic pathologist, and she um, was exploring ideas of the afterlife through science. And so she went to Persinger's lab, and she went inside the device called the Haunt Box. It's about the size of a freight elevator, and the Haunt Box, for some people, simulates a haunting. They see apparitions, they hear things that aren't there That's awesome. extreme yeah. amount of yeah extreme amount of electromagnetic waves bombarding the brain. So the God Helmet was like an offshoot of that. And the one thing that was curious that Mary Roach asked Persinger was, you say that this is just something that could cause hallucinations, could explain all these hauntings, but did you consider that maybe this might be opening, it's not a hallucination that you're actually seeing into another dimension? He said, I'm, I wouldn't rule that out and he was serious. So what I think is that he really did have this in his mind and his heart that the possibility of these devices could allow you to actually see some other plane or some other dimension. So I have considered that it's not just an odd effect on the brain. That's the that's the you know, the physiological and scientific aspect of it. But there's another thing to this world that I believe. So, um, so I used the God helmet. I had a preparation stage. Uh, I was in L.A. in a hotel room for a few days, and uh, so I did the I did the first stage by myself off camera. And um, right away, I started to feel things. Um, I had first, they they were very subtle. The effects were very subtle. Like, I had it on for three hours. I felt like I was hearing things that weren't there. Uh, I saw some flickering lights that certainly, you know, I felt like the power in the room was dimming down after a while. So, just weird, subtle stuff. Second time around, I went into these, this, this, you know, waking dream. That's the best way I can describe it. Like, I was having very vivid, you know, not hallucinations, but visions, like I would go in and out of these moments. And um, I was but I was awake. And so ever since then, as soon as I nod off, as soon as I close my eyes and relax, I'm like in that same state. And it hasn't really gone away. I don't know what it's done to me. And I, you know, I'm not trying to sell God helmets to people because I had a massive headache after the first session. And I don't think I'll ever use it again. I have it here with me, but, uh, you know, I'm considering throwing it into the canal sometimes, you know, like I just, like I'm not going to use it again. But I wonder, though, there's a curious part of me as if I used it again, how much further will this go? And I don't want to take the chance of it causing some damage or something like I, I know there are other people that use it a lot and they say it's heightened their psychic abilities and their awareness and their clarity. I've only used it twice. So maybe I'm not giving it enough credit. Maybe I'm like just stuck at this little stage where I have these micro naps and stuff, but I, I, you know, I don't want to risk doing stuff to my brain. You know? I, I think,
1: I think that's an experiment you can, um, just put on the, uh, put a pin in, put on the old back burner.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely on the back
0: burner. Yeah. I don't know if I'd mess with magnets in my brain. I, uh, you know, if you put a magnet like a uh, next to a computer, you see all sorts of like weird colors. I don't like... want to see that in my brain. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> well, I could send you the god Okay, please don't. Yeah, no, no, no. So we'll we'll uh, Actually, strap yeah. Lance
1: in. Strap me in. Strap me in. <laughs> How much? How much?
0: <laughs> so, uh, so what's coming up next on Strange World?
2: So, it's uh, great episodes, and there it's a, it's a variety. So we go from uh, segueing into the. To the series from the Montauk story and the Persinger God Helmet to, uh, or Todd Murphy actually designed and built the God Helmet. Uh, he was taught by Persinger. To the story of James Dean's car, Little Bastard, his Porsche 550 Spider, the one he unfortunately uh, crashed and died in. This story begins with Sir Alec Guinness, you know Obi Wan Kenobi, at a restaurant. With, uh, at that time, actress Thelma Moss, who actually went on to be the dynamic for all the female paranormal investigators and everything from Poltergeist to uh, Insidious. Uh, So so she was there. He was there. Dean pulls up in the spider, says, hey, check out my new car, man. And Alec Guinness looks at him and says, if you get back in that car, you're going to be dead in 48 hours. Now, who says this when you're showing off your new car, people throw some change in the back, wish you well, you know, not, dude, you're going to die in that car. And that's exactly what happened. And Guinness later told the story and said that he felt like something possessed him, took his voice over and had to tell James Dean not to get back in that car. And that's where the story starts.
0: Jesus. It was the force, I think. Yeah, he was.
2: I mean, when Obi-Wan Kenobi tells you not to get back in the car, (laughs) don't do
0: it. Yeah wow
2: so dean crashed and died two days later and um and here's where the story begins so little bastard uh was cannibalized by a doctor in los angeles he took the engine out and put it in his lotus and his buddy had a porsche 550 spider just like little bastard was using parts those two gentlemen went to a race they both crashed horribly the only two And the guy in the Porsche 550 Spyder that used pieces of Little Bastard crashed and died in that accident. This story keeps going. Some say some of these are embellishments, but I know some of them aren't. You know, some of them really did happen, like the crash I just told you about. So flash forward a little bit after a bunch of different incidents of people getting injured and hurt and maimed by this car. It disappears. They're moving it from Miami to Washington, and when it gets to a way station, it's not in the truck. Uh, George Barris, the famous car designer, was involved in this because he owned the chassis. And, um, you know, he designed the Batmobile and Grease Lightning and a whole bunch of cars. And so he uh, has been accused of hiding it for the purpose of kind of like sparking up a legend. doesn't make any sense, though, because George liked to make money, and you know it's like why would he get rid of this car why would he junk this car he would he would rather sell pieces of it and make money off of it than to just throw it away so we begin our search for little bastard the chassis the car that's been gone for 60 years
0: wow i love
2: it i
1: cannot wait to cover that as in in depth as we've uh covered the montauk experiments and uh amazing work that you've done with uh, everything that you've looked into the show premieres this evening august 11th and also if people out there have not seen your documentary the 2014 documentary called the montauk chronicles give that a shot as well because the story is so big and yeah. i i feel really fortunate that every episode that we're going to cover on the side is is again unpeeling a little bit more of the layers and pulling back the curtain because you're only allowed so much time per episode And you cover a lot in each episode, but there's so much more. So we're here to unpack it with you, Chris. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much, guys. Thank you.